0: Smith and, Radio. and here is your host, Gary All right, we're back on. All right, that was so kind of strange. So anybody who's listening to this episode in the middle of that conversation, we got disconnected. Kind of strange. <laughs> Oh, did I lose you again? Hello?
1: You back oh. again?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it keeps going oh. in and out. Do I still have you? Huh. All uh, right, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I hear you. All right. It keeps cutting out on weird. us. It is weird. This never happens to me.
1: Huh. All right. I mean, there's a like what we're talking about.
0: All right, we're back to recording. Okay. All right. So to my listeners again, that was the second time that happened we tried <laughs> to resume that conversation. So I guess maybe we'll have to abandon that topic. <laughs> huh. We're back. <laughs> so I still have you. Hey,
1: will we stay back?
0: Yes, we'll see. This will be the last try. If not, we'll just try to reschedule for the rest
1: of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's definitely been a really interesting interview. You know, I didn't expect to cover these topics. Um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about with the organized crime. Um, we're not crying, really, you know, for the families is a better term, I think. Uh, here in Alabama, in Fairhope, where I live, there's yeah. actually a restaurant called Ravenite that was owned by the Gambinos.
1: I know. You knew that? Well, yeah, they had, they were involved in the gambling down there. <laughs> I had no idea. Well, there used to be, a, there was one that... Gold Coast on that coast down there on the water. There was a mm-hmm. there was a hotel down there. Isn't there still there? There's a bunch yeah. of them now. Yeah, well, they, it was. They were just building it up back in the '60s. You know, it was kind of. A, they had there was there was a casino down there that Frank Costello was actually started it, and uh, the Cellini family, Gene Cellini family, were get were Meyer Lansky's gambling people. And they started most of the gaming up in the country. And then different families. Gambino's had other business down there, so they took certain things over and stuff. When when Costello wasn't around any longer. Oh, I know. I was happy
0: to find a place where I could get real
1: pizza. (laughs) 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 Nothing like the real thing, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have grits on the side. Right,
0: <laughs> it wasn't fried. <laughs> well, they do fry a few foods
1: down there, don't they?
0: They fry everything here.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> fry it or barbecue it. Um, so you you have just completed a project in 2019. It was something I've never heard of. Uh. It was like Dragon something.
1: Oh, that was a favor I did for Sean Stone. Sean Stone did this uh, picture. That was a a show he put together. Um, I think that's the one. I I did a couple small little things for favors for people. One thing I did a voiceover about Superman that did about the flight or something. So the that, dragon man. thing, we did uh, a voiceover for something. And then I did a, I actually did a role for Sean Stone and one of his projects. Uh, I don't know, I forget. I've been, I just did, you know, like uh, I, I'm working on, we're getting ready to do a mini series on my book and books. Uh huh. We have, um, Last Testament of Charles Luciana. Uh, his son's a good friend of mine. So we're incorporating a lot of stuff and um, we're going to tell the truth about a lot of things that happened in the country. And wow. the, the series will be a mind blower. It'll be, it'll be a mini series that will go into a series. We're going to do a film, but there's too much information to try mm-hmm. and jam into a film. So we're going to do it. I've got three more books that I want to do. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to work out really, really well. So a lot of people very excited over it. If it Wasn't for this pandemic thing, we probably would have already been shooting. Right. So we've got, um, and we're building a studio in Nevada, uh huh, which is uh, which is going to be great for the industry.
0: That is great. Um, so so, ha- what's the series going to be about? It-
1: La Familia. <laughs> going to be tell the truth about the things that really happened and what people were really involved in and, um, instead of Hollywood's bizarre way of, of of, you know it's amazing there's nobody has a crystal ball in Hollywood and nobody can tell you this movie is going to do this or this is going to do that mm-hmm. the only genre of film that has never lost a dime is organized crime pictures even the spoofs make money yeah and the good ones make big money. You know, you had had a little film that was done a couple years ago with Tom Hanks and uh, Paul Newman was in it called The Road to Perdition. Did a billion dollars. Wow. It was about a hit guy, about a nobody hit guy and his kid traveling around the country. And the picture did a billion dollars, you know? Mm. So organized crime pictures make a lot of money. Boardwalk Empire, Sopranos, it made a lot of money, and they're Hollywood's invention of things. I mean, I know Atlantic City; I know all about Atlantic City. Oh yeah, it was a place to where they ran booze down to, and they distributed it. And you know, the 500 Club was uh, was was a very instrumental place back in the 40s and 50s. I mean, that's where Jerry Lewis and uh, and Dean Martin hooked up. Uh huh. Dean Martin was singing, was doing a show down there, and the um, place was owned by Marco Riginelli at the time. He was the Don of Philadelphia, and before Angelo Bruno. And uh, Dean Martin was doing a show singing, and, and Jerry, Jerry Lewis was a waiter, and he was working his way through college. And he kept dropping trays, and the, and, and the comedy got put into. <laughs> And they, and they became Lewis and Martin, you know, it was, it became, people started laughing at and then Dean Martin played off of it and it, then they, they formed a, a team together and started at the 500 Club in Atlantic City.
0: Yeah, yeah, Atlantic City used to be nice.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic and, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, Steel Pier and, I mean, all the resorts. Wildwood, New Jersey, was 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 a neat boardwalk, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, Ocean was. Ocean City was was a a dry city. They didn't have any bars and stuff there, but they had a pretty good boardwalk. Their trash had more booze than anybody else's. But <laughs> uh, you know, but the shore resorts were 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 kind of good. Cape May. Yeah. Cape May County. You know.
0: Yeah. Oh, Wildwood. Wildwood's still nice.
1: Wildwood was Wildwood at one time was brilliant in the fifties and sixties. I mean, they had better jam sessions there than anywhere. They had like <laughs> a dozen clubs on Atlantic Avenue. Yeah, and every major group in the country played there. Everybody, you know, Johnny Mathis, Lee Marvin. I mean, everybody. You know, Marvin Gaye. They all played there. All the the, the singing groups. They, the, the nightclubs were were infamous there. Yeah. For years.
0: Yeah. It's still nice. You it, still sort of retained a lot of that uh, 1950 nostalgia down yeah.
1: there. We went, that was where we went every summer. We would leave Philly and boom. And you get a job, you spend the summer down in Wildwood. It was when I was, God, when I was, I started busting tables when I was 11 years old. Down <laughs> Just
0: working uh, the wheels.
1: Yeah. It was, you know, it was, uh. It was, a great, it was a great city, and you could learn a lot. And it was owned by the right people. So I think when I was about 15 years old, I ran most of the doorman. That was my deal. I put together a lot of the bouncers and doormen for clubs down there. Hmm. We, I mean, there were certain restaurants on the boardwalk, and we put together a whole protection thing for for the boardwalk for people wouldn't be hassled and all that stuff. And we wouldn't allow shoplifting or anything.
0: Yeah,
1: we took yeah. care of everybody, and people took care of us. So it was good.
0: Yep, yeah. and, and so it was uh, um, Seaside Heights.
1: That we was North a, Jersey.
0: Yeah. Well, it's not really north.
1: Well, in the center of the state.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I already had, had look- like Lucky Leo's was there.
1: Um, I never spent a lot of time up there. No, I was mostly down in South Jersey, then uh, <clears throat> from Ocean City down to Cape May. you had Atlantic City and Ocean City and Wildwood. You had Cape May. It was, mm-hmm. uh, Wildwood yeah. was big. I mean, Wildwood was Wildwood held a lot of people. It was, summertime was were crazy down there. My God.
0: Yeah, there's like three sections to it. There's like Wildwood, Wildwood, Wildwood crest, crest, and West North Wildwood.
1: Wildwood. Yeah, North Wildwood, West Wildwood, Wildwood proper, and Wildwood Crest. <laughs> and the Crest was like a money area where people moved and they built up motels, hotels, and all kinds of stuff down there. It was like, yeah. uh, like the Beverly Hills of Wildwood. Mm-hmm. And then North Wildwood had a pretty rich section. And, you know, it was and it West Wildwood was an island. It was like a little island, you had to go over the bridge to get to it. There was, uh, and there was great boating and fishing, and God, it was. A, why would it have a lot of a lot of attractive things and a lot of things for you know to to teach you how to to earn money. You know, it was a it was a great place for a kid to, to get an education on entrepreneurialship. Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, you could go down there for a summer, pick up a job find a place to stay and, and just learn.
1: I was, uh, when I was 11, 12 years old, I had three, I used to sell newspapers on the beach in, in, in the morning because you could make a lot of money doing that. And, and then I would bust dishes at, at a restaurant, Talbers uh, on the boardwalk, Oak in the boardwalk. And I got free lunch and free dinner there. And, and as a bus boy, and then I had a job at night at the Glenwood Bowling Alley because they didn't have pin setters then, and it was done by hand. Uh-huh. So we used to set pins for the bowling alley, you know? So you worked like three jobs. <laughs> You're always, but it kept you out of trouble, kept you off the streets and stuff. It was good.
0: Yeah. And they had money so you could go out and have fun too. Yeah. Go to the clubs, stuff like that. Yeah, no, it
1: was it was it was it was great experience, great learning experience.
0: Now that well, wild was like a lot of Russians.
1: They were coming in. Oh God, in the in the eighties, nineties, they started coming in different ethnic groups and stuff. And there's a lot of nice homes that they built down there. There's a yeah. lot of there's just like the crest area is really a wealthy area. There's a lot on the beach and stuff. And there's then North Wildwood has some great houses on the beach. And you get up into Anglesey. Anglesey is another little uh, spur off of North Wildwood, Mm -hmm. which is really kind of beautiful up there. And they used to have private clubs up there. Johnny Ray used to sing up there. Hmm. I didn't know that. Some of the, you know, some heavy talent. Yeah, it was... At the Bolero Club in Center of Wildwood, there was a club called the Bolero Club had the biggest stage in all the country, or uh-huh. for acts. I remember Johnny Mathis used to perform there for Sinatra, a lot of people.
0: How about Elvis?
1: I don't know if Elvis ever made Wildwood. I you know I have, to, I have to stop and think about that. I don't think he. I don't know if he ever, if he ever performed in Wild West.
0: He had to do Atlantic City, I would have to assume.
1: Yeah, Atlantic City he did. No, he did Atlantic City. No. He did not Atlantic City.
0: And, and then I guess at the end, he just sort of played in Vegas.
1: Well, he was, at the end, he was, he, he was way overweight and he was, too many drugs. Very sad.
0: Yeah. Terrible. Very
1: sad. He was a nice guy. I liked him, actually. I met him several times. Really? yeah wow
0: what what do you think of the Elvis movies?
1: I mean he was uh, you know he, he was, was young a, when he
0: was doing those he was
1: such an iconic figure that you know they were like slappy you know mushy movies that mm-hmm. that you know because of him, anything <laughs> he touched he made money with, yeah. You know, he was an iconic individual. He was, uh he had, a, he, had he, he, he developed a style that, you know, was just his and it was unique. You know, mm-hmm. it was like when he did the Ed Sullivan show, just you know, Ed Sullivan didn't like the idea of him, his swiveling his hips and all, but that was, that was his trademark.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, and he, and he just blew Ed Sullivan away to the response of the people when he had him on there how people everybody went crazy. They he had more response from any other show than he ever did. Hmm. And Elvis Elvis had a hell of a following.
0: Yeah, he did. My my parents used to love Elvis.
1: Well, he had a good voice. He his voice wasn't bad. He wasn't all that bad of an actor, you know, he was just uh he he was put upon by the guy that managed them. Mm-hmm. But he uh and he never—I mean, I felt sorry for Priscilla because he, his house was never empty. He always had this crew around him. These guys were always around him, and you know, he—he uh, was—he uh, had a lot of hangers-on. Yeah. But when so, you got to sit down with him one-on-one, he was—he was a—he was, was a good guy. I liked him. He was a pretty nice.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: I, most um, entertainers are. Most people. Or you know when they get a chance to be themselves, you know it's like Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was was one. Of, Muhammad was probably one of the greatest athletes. He could have been in any sport; he would have done well. Uh huh. And when you got by himself and talked to him, he was he was he was a super guy. He and I were, were very good friends. Wow,
0: that's pretty cool. I always had a lot of respect for Muhammad Ali.
1: He could fight, you know, he, but like I said, any sport he tried, he would have been good at. He was just a great athlete.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He he was pretty cool. And he just sort of, he, he, he stood up for what he believed in too.
1: Well, I mean, he was, he was nuzz, nuzzled into certain things and which was sad, but you know, when he got involved in it, he actually believed that he yeah. really had a lot of belief in it and Right down to his and then then when at the end when he everybody thought he had Parkinson's disease and it wasn't at all. His camp where he trained at was right next to a mink farm. And when the sprays that they used to control the rodents got when he was doing his road work and stuff, it actually infected his body and mm. caused his body to break down and it, it appeared like he had Parkinson's, but it was uh-huh. worse than that. It was a blood disorder that this poison got into his system and uh, and it deteriorated him. You know, he would, I remember when he used to sit and, and people thought that he was uh, he couldn't talk because he because he really his speech was impaired mm-hmm. and his mind was as sharp as a tack. He used to go in the gym every day and work out, but people would come at him and talk a thousand questions and. He couldn't respond fast enough to answer them, so he pretend like he fell asleep. <laughs> they thought, "Wow, well, you know, he's taking these medicines, and boom, you know, he wasn't uh, totally lucid, but uh-huh. a lot more lucid than they thought he was."
0: Wow, I didn't know that. So, so it was more of a, a motor skill issue rather than a mental yeah, deterioration. Yeah, it
1: affected his body, and he—I uh, mean, like I said, he. He, you would see him sit in the places like he was falling asleep. But if you, if you followed his daily routine, he was in the gym every day, working out. You know, and I mean, he came. I had when I retired from boxing, I took a young kid and I made him world champion, Frankie Lyles, and made him super middleweight champion of the world. And Ali came to see him fight in uh, South America. We had a fight, and they brought him down. Don King brought him as a promotional thing. And and I remember when I I heard he was at the hotel and I called up to his room and said, you know, I'll meet you in the lobby. And he came down with his wife and he could, could, you know, his hands were shaking he could hardly talk. And I said, you know, God, champ. I said, I'm really sorry that, you know, you've you've got this affliction like this. And he he looked at me and he said, "Uh, don't be sorry for me, Jack. He said, God has given me. Allah has given me everything in my life that I ever wanted. I've done it all. He said, you know, I, I wasn't cheated whatsoever. If this is the way it's supposed to end, then, you know, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Don't ever feel sorry for me.
0: So he and was we, really gracious.
1: He was – well, he and I were really good friends. We were supposed to fight a few times. It never happened, but uh, we had a lot of fun together. He was a fun guy. He he was – uh He was uh, he was very real.
0: Uh huh. Who do you think would have won that
1: fight? Well, I'll tell you a funny story. You know, I um, I beat a guy, Alvin Blue Lewis in Detroit, who was ranked like three in the world, and he had won thirteen rounds with Ali in Ireland. Then he came home and he beat Ernie Terrell and he beat another good fighter, and they were looking to make another Ali fight, and they. He was supposed to fight Buster Mathis, and Mathis couldn't get a license in Detroit. So he called me up in California and asked me if I wanted to fight Alvin Blue Lewis. And I said, uh, send me a ticket. And uh, and I gave Lewis a terrible beating. And then I went out to Pennsylvania to see him in his camp because I wanted to get a fight put together. And he, uh, <laughs> he had a lot of press people there because he was training for it. A fight so he said Jack come on we went into this train like locker room and shut the door and we were kicking and punching the door and people thought we were in there fighting <laughs> he, you know he loved to stir people up and he's yelling yeah I'm gonna kill you they went going back and forth and, and, and he said watch this and we opened the door and we opened the door and all these press guys I had their like ears to the door almost and he laughed like hell and they, they looked at us like they thought they were going to see two bloody messes come out of there. And we sat down and we were having dinner. And he said to me, if I give you a chance, if I give you a title shot, he said, will you really try and beat me? I said, let me tell you something. For the first time in my career, I'm going to go away and I will train for a couple months like you do. And when you come in the ring, bring a gun with you because you're going to need it. and he said can we have two steaks over here please he was uh he was a pretty good guy i liked him a lot actually
0: that's great um so uh with with your upcoming project uh where is it going to be when when the series comes out do you have any plans on on where you're going to be releasing it
1: they're working on it now there's several places that really want it and uh It'll probably be either on Showtime or uh, might HBO. I don't know. We, uh, Netflix is but I, I don't really like the deals there. So I don't know. There's there's so many streaming companies now that are coming on board that are dying for content. And uh, we'll sit down and we'll make the best deal in the next six months. And yeah. it, uh, because it's, it'll be a show that will run for... The next 10 years, they will be running before after I'm dead. You know, <laughs> we're gonna do a lot of tapes and leave a lot of information, and I mean, there will be a show that'll just continue because there's so much information
0: uh-huh. about
1: how the country opened up and uh, how they were responsible for opening up a lot of it, and uh, how they integrated with Europe, how they integrated with China, mm-hmm. how they you know integrated you know all through the world. And no one ever talks about that.
0: Yeah. yeah. All
1: they ever talk about is is things like, they, they only talk about things like the Sopranos, you know? Yeah. Foolish things, you know? And, uh, and it was a much bigger situation than that. Much, much bigger. And you should know that. You lived in Trenton where you're talking about. Yeah. There were some serious people that lived in Trenton. Mm-hmm. I said Angelo Bruno had several businesses in Trenton. Yes. I know. Yeah,
0: uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Before, when this series comes back on or before it comes on, I'd love to have you back on.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'll let you know. Yeah, that'd be positive. great.
0: And uh, do you have like a book out or
1: anything? There's a book out now. If you go to familylegacythenovel.com, it takes you right to Amazon. Uh, the book's on, it's a five star book on Amazon. And uh, in 30 days or so, we'll be pushing another book out. And then another year, we'll have we have another book coming, and and we're rewriting Charlie Luciano's book. So, we've got a lot of information that's going to be put out there, that's going to not be this melancholy, you know, bullshit that people write about. I mean, there's so many books about this guy and that wise guy, and, and they're all, most of them are, are, are fairy tales.
0: Right. So I'll put a link to uh, the, um, your website, to the book, in my notes for this um, episode.
1: Sure.
0: But I, I just thought of one last question I want to ask you, though. Yeah. What do you think of the TV show Mob Wives? The TV show
1: what? Mob <laughs> Wives. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen that once or twice. They did the movie. And I think then they turned it into a television yeah. show. and there's there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of comedy for me to watch stuff like that. that's like The Sopranos, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. You're talking about fiction uh, about people that, although, the ironic part of that is, and and if you're Italian, you know this, but the wife was really the strength of a lot of families. Oh yeah. I mean, the the wife withstood a lot of bullshit that went on. And, but they were the, the, the stalwart part of the family. That It's amazing how much the Italian women had, how much authority they had in their own house, mm-hmm. you know, and how much more they knew about what was really going on than anybody ever knew. Yeah. she so never seen them get indicted or, or brought in front of grand juries. And they probably had more information than anybody, you know. Yeah, but they were—they never—they never talked about it. They were very closed mouthed. very protective of their families. They held a lot of families together. Yeah, which was kind of good, you know. I—I uh, I always respected that.
0: Yeah, that—that that, that show almost portrays them as the opposite of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what that makes me laugh. You know, it's you like they're the running around
0: woodwork. gossiping.
1: <laughs> yeah, they come out of the woodwork and you know, it would take over this and take over that. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> never, never on a Sunday would that happen. But, yeah, we, we you know, it's good we, television.
0: Reality TV isn't actually real.
1: That's uh, absolutely correct. <laughs> I mean, they did that one movie where the I think it was called "The Kitchen" with mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy, where the wives, with the, the husband said, went to jail, and the wives took over the street business and everything. Please give me a break. You, can you see a woman out there punching, swapping punches with a guy? Or no. Gang of guys? <laughs> you know? Or someone pulling a gun and sticking it in their face? My God, they have a heart attack. Right. You know? it's, uh, yeah, people don't understand the reality of what s- strength some people have. I mean, I've got scars all over my hands where I took knives off of people. And, and if you pull a gun on me, you better shoot. You better be pulling the trigger. I'll take it off you and stick it up your ass, you know. And, and I've done that enough times in my life. You know, people think they're going to brave waving a gun around you and, you know, they're just, so when you do that a few times, it makes, puts a fear in people that they wouldn't even dream of mm-hmm. pushing you that far, you know. And this, this is where the word respect comes in at. And and you earn that through what your exploits of, how you treat people in a fair manner and everything, but you set boundaries that you can't cross certain lines. If you cross that line, it's like, you know, they they used to talk about my father being uh, the Lord Lord executioner and shit like that, And you know, and Albert just ran the families with a stringent with a stringent line. If you, if you came into the business, you knew what you were coming into. So if you broke the rules, you knew the penalties. Mm-hmm. And when someone would come to him and say, "Oh, but you know, why don't you give me a second chance?" Albert would look at them and say, "Yeah, if I give you a second chance, you're going to take my kindness as a weakness, and one day you're going to rat on us because you're weak." Right. Understand? Mm-hmm. And and they didn't he didn't tolerate that. And so and when they, when they say, yeah, they killed thousands of people, but they were all involved in the business. They were not innocent bystanders. Mm-hmm. They never killed innocent people. They only policed their own business. And they kept it very strict. Murder Incorporated was one of the neatest things ever put together because they if it wasn't for a guy ratting some people out, they would have never broke that up. It was so well put together. There was no telephone calls. There was no, the people went and seen people face to face. And if you were doing a a hit in Chicago or a hit in here or a hit there, someone came and spelled it out to you. Wasn't uh, done on the phone or, you know, any dumb shit like that. So they were well, they were well orchestrated. And they were all over the country. In fact, they were all over the world when the CIA was formed and the CIO was the OSS, and then it turned into the CIA. The Mm -hmm. OSS was put together by Charlie Luciano. And when they put the CIA together, it was in a period when white people weren't allowed in China. So the CIA couldn't do certain things in China. They used guys from Murder, Inc. to go to,
0: Uh
1: to take care of business. You know, and they controlled the, the, the they controlled most of the military bases, all the all the canteens and the and the, and the pool tables and and all that cigarette machines and all that stuff belonged to organized crime. That's where the interfacing of, of one hand washes the other was at. Yes. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And they all watched out they watched the back door of each other for a long time until the sure. Kennedys came around and. You know, Bobby Kennedy was uh, his father wanted to put everybody in jail because he was under thumb to Chicago for so many years, and, that, and that's a long story. So one day we'll chat about. Yeah, absolutely. The, if you if you ever sat down and said, "Who was the number one person responsible for Jack Kennedy's death?" Who was his father? His father. I mean, first of all, people never realized that Jack Kennedy was not gonna live out his term. He was a very sick man. He was dying of Addison's disease, which is the deterioration of your spinal cord. He had syphilis, he had four diseases. They used to shoot him up every day so he could function and walk around. And he would. his father would rather see him die the way he died than have him die as a physical effect and put a black mark on the family. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, why? That's awful cold to think that way. And they say, well, yeah, look what he did to his daughter. He lobotomized his own daughter because she suffered from ADD before any doctors had any kind of prescribed medicine or any way of handling ADD. And he was always afraid she was going to stand up at a function, stand up on a table and do a tap dance or something. Uh But she was wigging out a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Like a lot of people with ADD do. They just do strange things in, in front of people. And Joe Kennedy just said, we can't have that in my family. And his daughter sat staring out a window for like 60 years before she passed away.
0: It's a terrible thing to do.
1: Yeah. To your own daughter? I mean, yeah. God's sake. I wouldn't you be know. able
0: to live with myself.
1: Well, I mean, there were institutions he could have sent her to in mm-hmm. Z- Zurich or Switzerland or whatever. But the, just the bottomizer and stick her in a room where she looked out a window. That's, you know, that's about as cold as you can get, son. Yeah. But there's a lot of stories about, you know, things that he did that that provoked the Bay of Pigs was created by him. Right. He told his son that those soldiers don't need bullets in their gun because if they fire one by mistake, it's going to set off a whole deal. They were all slaughtered in that war. They, they were like sitting ducks. And some CIA people got killed there, and that made the CIA angry. So that was one – you had you had so many hostilities that it, no one could figure out the conspiracy theories of how Kennedy, what happened, who did this, who did that. You know, and, and you had the oil people of Texas made a fortune off of what they call surplus oil. And as soon as Jack got elected, his father whispered in her ear and said, you got to put a tax on those people. They're getting away with all that money. You should be taxing it. And when you put a tax on surplus oil, it costs those guys between two and three hundred million dollars a year. Think that didn't make somebody angry?
0: Oh, sure, it did.
1: You know, so there's just a lot of things like that. You know, Bobby was a niche in everybody's side. You know, it was just there were, there were a lot of things that the Teamsters they were after Hoffa at that time. The the, the uh, Mine workers up in the northeast were uprising. The bank was going through a changeover from, from the gold standard to Federal Reserve. There were just a lot of changes going on in the country that left a lot of turmoil. So no one could really put – so the Warren Commission came in and, and put all this bullshit down about the one-bullet theory and, and Lee Harvey Oswald, and, and, and it's all garbage. <laughs> And it's been proven to be non true. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just, uh, but that's a whole, it's a big story, but that's in my book. Read the book, to like it.
0: I can't wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thank you for the time, and yes. I hope your listeners got something out of it. Oh, know?
0: They're gonna love this. You 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 are gold. <laughs> <laughs> that's great.
1: But enjoy yourself down there in Alabama, my friend.
0: I will. Thank you. We'll do this again when the show comes out. Yeah, for sure. You take care. You too. Thanks. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh, yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.